0: small A-crew cards with a gold L engraved on them, is uptown tasteful. Lou smiles warmly. How are you? She lives upstairs in the back apartment and is the only other single woman in Kit's building. She's in her seventies, but she has the chic look of New York's older ladies who stay in the moment. Her hair is done, her lipstick applied in the latest shade of fiery fuchsia, and she wears a vintage Hermes scarf wrapped around her neck and anchored by a sparkly brooch. Aunt Lou is trim and small. Her perfume is spicy and youthful, not flowery like a grandmother's. "'I thought you were Mr. Sartori,' Kit says. "'What happened?' Lou peers into the apartment, expecting to see water gushing from the ceiling or worse. The sink. It's clogged again.' And it won't open up no matter what I do. I plunged, I prayed, I used enough Drano to blow up Brooklyn. If I see Tony, I'll tell him to get up here and fix it immediately. Thanks. If anybody has an in with the landlord, it's Aunt Lou. After all, she is a blood relative. Aunt Lou pulls on her gloves. I was wondering if you were busy this afternoon. I'd love to have you up for tea. She has never invited Kit up to her place. They both know and live by the unwritten rules of apartment dwelling. It's best to keep a distance from neighbors in a small building. Cordial greetings by the mailbox are acceptable, but beyond that it gets dicey, since there's nothing worse than a fellow tenant who stops by too much, chats too long, and borrows things. Kit says, "'Thanks, but I'm writing. Maybe we can do it another time.' "'Sure.' Whenever you can, you let me know. I've been cleaning out my apartment, and I have lots of things I think you might like. Lou looks around the apartment. Or could use. Kit reconsiders. Nothing is more alluring than a free indoor flea market without other customers to beat to the prizes. And Aunt Lou reminds Kit of her own grandmother. She also seems self-sufficient and has an air of discernment. Something Kit would like to cultivate. How many women can wear an enormous enamel dragonfly brooch and pull it off? Maybe I can make it around four. I would love that, Lou says, smiling. See you then. How you doing, Aunt Lou? Tony Sartori asks as he climbs the stairs to Kit's apartment. I'm fine, but Kit's drain has seen better days. Aunt Lou winks at Kit as Mr. Sartori enters the apartment. Yeah, yeah, it's always something around here, he grouses. Lou grabs the hand railing and makes her way down the narrow stairwell. It's early October and not too chilly outside, maybe 50 degrees. But Lou is already wearing her full-length mint coat, which drags the stairs behind her like the cape of a duchess. No matter the temperature, from September to June... Aunt Lou wears that mink coat. Come on in. Kit need not invite him, since he's already in the bathroom. Aunt Lou's a pretty lady, she tells him, hoping to score some points. You kiddin' me? In her day, she was a looker. They say she was the most beautiful gal in the village. Really? Yep. You said you had a leak? A clog in the bathroom sink. Kit corrects him. Again? he says in a tone that implies it's Kit's fault. Tony Sartori is a small man with white hair and black eyebrows that look like thick hedges. He looks enough like Geppetto, the gentle cobbler in Pinocchio, to make Kit feel safe, but his vocal tone is pure New York rasp, which scares her a little. Kit laughs nervously. Sorry, you know I spend my nights stuffing the drain with olive pits, so you have to spend your days fixing it. Tony Sartori looks as though he may yell, but he smiles instead. Remain calm, Miss Pennsylvania. I'll fix it. Kit grins weakly, but knows better. He'll plunge the sink and then wrap some crappy tape around the hole in the pipe and return in two weeks when the sticky stuff comes undone and she has another flood. We might have to get a plumber this time, he says from under the sink. Hallelujah! Kit claps her hands together joyfully. Sartori grips the sink and pulls himself to a standing position. Kit's bathroom is wallpapered floor to ceiling with rejection letters from every regional theater in the nation, from Alaska Rep to the Wyoming Traveling Players. They are all variations of the same message. Good characters, good dialogue, but you don't know how to tell a story, Miss Zanetti. Tony Sartori reads one and shakes his head. Don't you ever want to give up? I mean, with letters like these, what's the point? I'm getting better, Kit tells him. Maybe you are, but evidently there aren't a lot of people out there in the theater world who think you can write a play. Sartori shrugs. Besides, what is the theater anymore? It's not like it was. It used to be cheap and wholesome, dancing girls and good music. Now it's damn expensive. They herd you in like cows, and then the seats are so small you get a blood clot in your leg before the first song is over. My wife loves that Phantom of the Opera show. I thought it was all right. To me, it's just a guy in a mask, scaring a girl with a good figure, and then singing about it. The reviews are in, Kit says cheerfully. She's used to the barbs, criticisms, and comparisons that come with her chosen profession. Playwriting as a career is pathetic. A writer can't make a living. And in this culture, plays are about as relevant as glassblowing or whittling forks out of wood. Kit will keep these thoughts to herself, since the last thing she needs is an artistic standoff with Tony Sartori. That's just my opinion. Mr. Sartori spins the roll of duct tape on his index finger and goes to the door. Can you hold off on using the sink for a while? How long? You know I do an intense beauty treatment each night, and it requires running water to make the thick paste that I trowel on to prevent premature wrinkles. That must be quite a sight. Use the kitchen sink for now. Yes, sir. Kit smiles. Mr. Sartori? Yeah? Do you ever think anything I say is funny? Even just a little? Not really. Tony Sartori closes the door behind him, and Kit hears him chuckle from the other side. The pink teacup on Grove Street has the best coconut cake in the city. Made from scratch, it's a yellow cake so moist for a moment it seems like it may not have been cooked through. The batter is full of tiny pineapple chips, and the icing is buttercream whipped so light that the coconut curls sink into it. Juanita, the cook, likes Kit because she raved about the cake in an online magazine piece. Whenever Kit passes by, Juanita cuts her a slab for free. Today Kit takes two slices, one for herself and one for Aunt Lou. As she walks back toward home, she makes a mental note to add some dishes to the article she's writing for Time Out, Best Food in the Village. The articles don't pay much, but the perks are fabulous free food in her favorite restaurants. So far, her list includes Best Breakfast The weekender at Pasties on 9th Avenue includes a basket of sticky buns, chocolate pané, cocoa bread, and nut loaf followed by scrambled eggs with crispy home fries made with onions and butter. Best Lunch The hamburger at Grange Hall on the corner of Commerce and Barrow with a glass of robust red wine. Best sandwich, the tuna salad with a delicate paste of avocado and sliced tomato at Elephant and Castle on Greenwich Avenue. Best dinner, Stefano's Spaghetti Pomodoro at Valdino West on Hudson Street. Comfort food, garlic mashed potatoes at Nadine's on Bank Street. Kit's neighborhood is often host to small literary tour groups who wander around with their guidebooks, pointing out the brownstones where Bret Hart and E.E. E. Cummings lived and the bar where Dylan Thomas raised his last glass before passing out in a booth and meeting his maker. Kit imagines creating an eating tour of the village. Literature versus a good sandwich. She has a hunch her tour would draw larger crowds. Back home, Kit places the slices of cake in a Tupperware container and settles down to work. It takes all of her willpower not to eat the coconut cake before her four o'clock tea with Aunt Lou. She knows she will spend most of the afternoon circling it like a lonely hawk hovering over a platform.